What's up, everybody? And welcome to Beer People. I'm Matt Prince. And I'm Chris Horn. And we're here. Beer, Beer People. People. What's Matt, up, Chris? It, uh, it has not been very long since I saw you. It's been uh, just over 12 hours, I guess 15 hours. How are you doing the morning after uh, Beer Person Jeff's uh, wedding? Beer People Jeff and Martha's wedding. Yeah. Celebration, uh, wedding celebration. They got married in May or the spring. Yes. The party. Yes. Yes. This was the 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 long into the anticipated party, and it was uh, it was great. Um, a different experience for me when it comes to weddings, because this is the first wedding that I brought my kids to, um, and it was great. My wife and I talked about it afterwards. How it wouldn't have been the same experience without them, and uh, we just loved it. We loved having them there. They had a great time. Um, by the time we rolled into the driveway around nine o'clock last night, both kids were asleep in the car, which never happens. So that just means that they really partied hard. And um, it was a great night. Um, I'm, I'm sure your night was a little different than mine, um, even though you played a lot with my kids, which was very much appreciated. And they uh, they had a great time. Oh, man. No, I, I had I had a great time as well, like hanging out with them. Uh, Caleb and I were tearing up that dance floor uh, and pretending to be pirates. And he had his coloring and uh, it was a blast. He was his preferred go to dance moves were very entertaining to me. One of them was just run around the dance floor. Yep. Another one was lay on your back looking at the um, like projected lights on the ceiling saying, look, it's stars inside while doing like this version of the worm where he just kind of yeah. slid himself on his back along the floor over and over. It was yes. great. Yeah, yeah, he has a lot to learn when it comes to the dance steps, but I appreciate that he has a set style and um, you know, that will be honed through many a, um, you know, whatever parties he goes to. I was about to say bar mitzvahs, but because he's not going to be, he's not Jewish, he won't get to go to them like I did. Um, but <laughs> I'm sure he'll have a couple Jewish friends and he'll get to go to some bar mitzvahs and yeah. and other weddings. And and if he works on that floor routine a little bit more, like, well, he's in gymnastics, right? Yes. And he's got the floor routine and dance going on. And I think breakdancing is a new winter or summer Olympic sport. So yeah. he could yeah. have an Olympic future ahead of him if he combines those two things. It really, yeah, that's exactly what we're going for. So that was my mindset uh, lately. <laughs> I mean, what it's crazy. I was looking at the list. You know, the summer Olympics, I, I really appreciate the fact that we're broadening the uh, definition of what an athlete is because dancers are 100% athletes. Um, and I was just looking at the list of all of the sports that were added. I don't even want to say sports, all of the events that were added. And, uh, it's pretty cool. I mean, it's really, you know, reaching out to all these different people because different cultures view different things with different importance. And we're really like hitting all of it. But Chris, um, as exciting as all it is, well, I didn't get to hear how the night was for you aside from dancing with my kids. Um, <laughs> you know, how was the rest of it? I left at 830 because I have kids. How was the rest of the night? What did you guys do after? Yeah, it was great. Um, at the end of the night, I was uh, I outlasted the bride and groom. So uh, a mission accomplished there. We went to we watched the Phillies win uh, their third game in the NLCS. Um, and we watched very importantly uh, Nebraska volleyball, uh, upset 
uh, Wisconsin at home in a pretty momentous uh, fifth set victory, which wow. was great. Um, but it was awesome. Uh, the last two weeks, two, three weeks for me have been like a really important, like healing time for me um, after the breakup and just stuff at work, not going great. And like my car, my house, like everything just felt like there was something wrong with it for a few months in a row. And then in October, I've been intentionally like planning some me time and also making sure that I'm appreciating, like being fully honest with myself. Like I was feeling pretty sad. Uh, I went to a great happy hour with some coworkers on Friday and then saw you and Francis after that, but the drive between, I was really sad and just like being able to own that and then either sit in it for as long as I need to do to process or uh, allow myself to turn it around of like, oh, but now I'm hanging out uh, with Matt and Mark and Francis and things feel great. So the wedding came at a great time. Uh, and after last weekend, when I was in Massachusetts with family uh, for a very like cathartic New England weekend, made apple pie with my family, went to Walden Pond and just had a really relaxing time with them. Uh, it's been feeling like things are going in a, a really solid direction. Well, that's great, Chris. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure everyone who's listening to this podcast has had those times where it's things aren't easy. And I think it's really the test of a person where you see their resilience and see how they can build upon different moments to kind of build themselves back up. I really think that's the test of a person. It just shows what kind of person you are. So that's excellent that you're stringing those good weekends together. Hopefully there are more good weekends to come. Um, Actually, on a related note to that, um, we, uh, you, me, and uh, beer person Dante uh, were having a conversation recently, and a quote that he said uh, really stuck out to me, and is one that I wrote down to come back to, because he said, and I think he was quoting someone as well, um, but adversity doesn't build character, it reveals it. And so I've thought about how, like, in adversity, like, how am I coming through? How am I, what is being revealed to me about myself in this process? And that's been really helpful as well. Absolutely. Yeah. When Dante said that, I was like, man, that it's so true. Cause you know, I feel like it's in us, like it's there and it's whether or not we have the fortitude and the, um, to just let it come out in those moments. And Clearly, you have it, and it's shining through. So that's pretty excellent. And uh, you know, it's what makes us stronger, right? That's like how we how we find out our strength. Well, okay. um, and shout out also, like it's I know part of what I just mentioned is like I've been focusing on self care, but also like the support of the people around me. You, Francis, Jeff, and a number of other friends have been like really pivotal and just checking in and. You know, oftentimes it's really important to, if you know someone's going through a hard time, it's easy to think like, oh, they probably don't want to talk about that, which might be the case. But I've appreciated that, like, you've asked, like, hey, is it okay if I ask you how you're doing and X, Y, Z, and those things help a lot. So well, thank you. Anytime, anytime, you know that. Um, I actually wanted to have an interesting conversation pivoting back to, uh, pivoting to beer, craft beer. Something interesting has been happening, especially uh, local to us, and I'm sure it's happening in other places, but because we're here in the Philadelphia area, we see it. 
there are actually three breweries that kind of similar breweries, um, similar size, similar model. All of them opened outside of Philadelphia in other places and then opened tap rooms in the city. And they've all closed recently, like completely closed up shop. And these three breweries are Liquid Art, um, formerly Roy Pitts, um, Stickman, and Separatist, um, with formerly Soul Artisanal Ales. Um, and it's, I didn't even piece together how similar they were until like the very end when I was like, oh yeah, they all opened in small towns. They all eventually opened tap rooms in the city. Um, Stickman decided to do a bunch of pop-ups all throughout the city. Separatist got a South Philly spot that has since been occupied by Carbon Copy. And it looks like it's now going to permanently be occupied by Human Robot. Um, and then Liquid Art opened at a really um, great brewery area in like the spring arts area. And then they've since they've now closed up their whole operations. And it, I wanted to just kind of see what you think about that. I mean, at different times, these were all successful breweries. It's weird because we always think about, oh, there's another brewery. Oh, there's another brewery. But there's another side of it where there are breweries who can't do it anymore and are closing and they kind of cease operations and that's it. So what do you think about that? That's interesting. I hadn't made those connections before, um, but and segues also into like the conversation that people will hear today, which we'll get back to in a, in a second, um, because we talk um, about whether Hidden River should or does like have aspirations of opening uh, in a like more populated place than than where they are right now. Um, I think I'm not sure. I mean, I the Stickman like location struck me as a little underutilized. Um, it felt like just kind of a, a cooler full of cans and like a place to drink those cans. And that's not enough of a draw for someone to think like, I'm going to like exit my house to do that kind of thing. Um, whereas Separatist had taps and felt more like a bar. Um, I didn't spend enough time there to really evaluate that or, or liquid art. I felt like liquid art had more of a, a unique feel to it. Um, but I wonder what contributed to those because, and I wonder if it has to do with not brewing on site. Like, I think there's something cool about going into a brewery where it's happening because you see the production um, machinery and, um, or equipment rather. And I think that adds to the experience of being there. So I wonder how much of it has to do with like curating an experience that people want to have more so than the beer that they're consuming or alongside it. I, th I think there's probably something to that, but they didn't just close their Philly locations. They closed everything. All oh. three of these, all three of these breweries have ceased operations everywhere. Oh, yeah. So my mindset immediately went to, okay, these were breweries that had attempted to expand. Um, and maybe, and that's like the fine line between like, do you expand and then spread yourself too thin and then you can't sell enough product. Um, uh, or, you know, is is that something that breweries have to think of? And, you know, we actually did, it, it, the listeners were here in our conversation, we did talk about this 
in the conversation you're about to hear, you know, that idea of when is the right time to grow? Is it ever the right time to grow? Do you, or should you just own what you do? And if the beer is good enough, do people come to you? And what we may have seen, like I may now be interpreting from the reverse direction of like, oh, I wonder if they overextended and that was their demise. It might be that they were already struggling and then put out these feeler locations in a more densely populated area as a last ditch effort. Like maybe things were already going south and this was the Hail Mary. Um, I don't know, but it is interesting to think of the, the business side. We had a really great conversation with Kevin, um, in, both in person uh, several, several months ago and um, via Zoom when we were recording this podcast about that, but also about like, how do you, so he is another example of someone who uh, did not get like, he didn't intend to go into beer. Uh, he did homebrewing and then a series of fortunate events kind of like landed him uh, as a co-founder and a brewer. Uh, and then, you know, he's got a, another brewer there as well. But uh, at a very interesting, like 300 year old Victorian house about an hour or something uh, west of Philadelphia, uh, where it's the same building as his wife's ghost tour family operates out of and we got to have a really engaging conversation with him about you know building that community feel emphasizing the family um, portion of the business and though they're in uh, a much less populated area than philly like still developing that community where folks come to them and how do they navigate the pandemic while they're kind of blowing up in uh, fame in a, um, in a great way for how awesome their beer was and is. Yeah, Chris, you, you really, you hit it all right in the head. Um, it was a, it was a conversation that I know was a, a pleasant surprise for me, but not because I thought that Kevin would give us something great. It just, you never know really like the heart of a brewery until you hear from the creator and uh, we learned a lot of really great things from Kevin. And I don't want to, you know, hold you off any longer. Like, let's just get to it. Um, so, listeners, we hope you enjoy our conversation with Kevin. Kevin Marginich, welcome to Beer People. Thank you. Thank you. Go ahead, Matt. No, I was just gonna say we're really excited to have you. You know, we this is kind of like a long time coming because we came to uh, Hidden River and met with you months ago. Um, and you know, it we we would have loved to come again and record in person, but just with busy schedules, uh, mostly with Chris and I, uh, you know, we're doing it here on Zoom. But we're thrilled to finally be able to talk to you on the podcast. Yeah. Lots of stuff happens in the summer. You know, not getting to see each other again. That is like classic summertime. Everybody's got different schedules. It's so true. It's so true. Yeah. Now, Kevin, uh, we had the pleasure of like seeing Hidden River in person, chatting with you. You sat down at the table and joined us. And so we were able to get to know you. But some of our listeners may not be as familiar with you as a person. 
as they are with your work creating such an awesome brewery. So let's zoom in on you for a quick second. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm, you know, I grew up in Scranton area and that I think shaped me as well as a person. I moved around a lot, which I think a lot of people from Scranton do. And I uh, found myself near in Philadelphia for a long time and now kind of migrated out to Berks County, Douglasville, near Reading. And, uh, you know, my, I have family out here and that is the main reason I came out here, which is also where the brewery is. And uh, that I think has been like this 20 year shape of my life is moving around near family. So you talked to us when you first came on today, before we started recording, um, about just the commotion that is just like life. I mean, you, uh, we, you were a little late today, but only because of uh, a phone incident, but then you're also talking about your wife and your child. Can you tell us a little bit about your family life aside from being in the brewery and how that's kind of shaped you into the person you are now? Yeah, I think getting into like brewing definitely was a, my family, 100%, they got me into it. Um, I had an interest in beer, but brewing it, you know, I remember we got my father-in-law, my wife's father, we got him a homebrew kit and he liked it. He had probably the processes of like sanitizing and that was kind of fun. And I got to like hang out with him a lot. And then slowly I just kind of found friends who were into it. And then that made me get into it. And uh, that's just how the, everything worked for me. It was finding people with common interests and then where is this going to lead me? And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm living in Philadelphia, my wife, we're pregnant and brewing became something that I just was, I'm always home and now I'm going to be home doing something too. And that was kind of a great thing. And that lasted a while until like this idea of opening a brewery happened. Tell us a little bit more about how did you and your wife meet and you have a child. Is it one child? Do you have more? Ooh, yeah. So we met in college, um, senior year of college. It's kind of a cool story. I was graduating and I got to, we were becoming friends and I kind of wanted to get to know her a little bit better. So I took some incompletes and uh, didn't graduate and uh stayed around and we got to know each other more and that was that was it that was kind of fun that was cool it was definitely something that no one would probably expect to happen like oh I'll take incompletes and not graduate but uh it means a lot to me that I did that I have I, to ask what, you what? intentionally <laughs> prolonged your college yeah. I, I've so, got to ask I've got to ask now you know you're you're a college senior you're not paying your own way through college yeah I don't want to assume your parents are doing it but what did your parents think when you were like taking these incompletes for a girl and did they know that that was the reason? I don't think they really did. I think they thought like, I don't think he knows what he's doing in general, <laughs> but he seems kind of happy. I think that was their only thought. Um, yeah. It was, you know, a couple, a couple more loans and that, you know, it wasn't that bad. I got to, I walked, but I didn't graduate. And then we both graduated together. So that was kind of cool. Um. Yeah, that was it was it was good because it was kind of like I really enjoyed college and uh, it was kind of what I don't know. You would, I went to school for English and so did my wife and you go to school for that and you're kind of like you're building off each other a little bit. I liked writing. She liked reading. And uh, 
I think finding out more about yourself through literature was kind of really important to me. And I think I found a lot out about myself and she helped that completely. So. Chris, I think our podcast has been hijacked by like a rom-com. Like this is like some real rom-com stuff with between your uh, love of Taylor Swift and this story, Chris, we've, we've got something cooking here. Yeah. Big time. Big time. Uh, the, the tale of English majors, uh, star-crossed lovers, one extends their uh, college experience. It's a really uh, classic tale. Yeah, you're like you're, you're like real-life Van Wilder. Like, you're sticking there. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't doing that well, so it was all right. I think I needed to, you know, get that GPA up a little bit anyways. So you you take this unconventional route of finishing college to spend more time with your future wife. You have two kids. And now here you are, you are the owner um, with your wife of this brewery. Can you tell us a little bit about how, you know, you talked a little bit about the beginning of your brewing career, your journey. How did that home brewing experience transition to having your own brewery, building out the space, now brewing, like brewing on a much larger level? That's, 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 that's a good long tail. Um, I was working for a newspaper for almost 10 years. And uh, it was getting to the point where my days were numbered. It was going all digital and I was a print person and I just didn't see it lasting a much longer. And probably neither did my in-laws because my wife's parents um, who live where the brewery is not in the building itself, but um, in Douglasville, they have this building, they bought this building and they're in the ghost tour business. They've been doing this, you know, 20 years and they bought this building to do events and kind of out of the blue, they said, Oh, would you be interested in opening a brewery there? And I thought that was ridiculous, but at the same exact time, like, well, I don't know how long the newspaper is going to last and I don't know where everything's going to go, but I like brewing and there's that. And at the same time, my wife's brother, we were kind of, we didn't hang out. He was living around and it was going to be like, so as a family, we're all collectively going to put our eggs in one basket and kind of open a brewery. And it worked. It worked well for the first, you know, when it started out, um, kind of like one person operated the pub, one person operated the, of the brewery, and we kind of ran it like that. And uh, that was, man, that was 2015. So it was kind of like, who knows where this is going to go? We're not in a very populous area. Are these beers good? Um, are people going to drive out to where we are? And it worked well. It was, uh, it was, a, it was a great start to what was going to eventually happen, in my opinion. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Yes, the beers are very good, and people will drive <laughs> very far to get them. That must have been like a cool. I mean, it sounds like a big risk, right? You're on this yeah. one track. You love writing, and you're in the print newspaper industry. You see a looming cliff ahead of you. You have a hobby, but you're not a professional like brewer at that point. And so how, what were the feelings going through your mind as you're debating this like huge switch of careers? Not owning a business is probably the biggest like hurdle because sure, everybody can, you know, you, you learn to make beer and you can do this thing and Yes, people can still go there, but how do you keep it as a business? How do you make the right decisions? And that was the scariest part because I was kind of like nervous every day. 
um, cause I didn't have another fallback. I, I didn't have another job. I just had to kind of put everything into this and, you know, you make these beers and you were making them at a small level. And then you're going to, in your mind, you're going to scale up and you think that's the way it works. And it kind of does kind of doesn't. And so nothing in my opinion was like exactly the way I thought it was going to go. It was kind of like every week kind of scarier and scarier, but people are there. So it's kind of like, Ooh, this is exciting. And six months goes in and you're like, I need help, you know? And right around that time, well, we, we knew we were pregnant with another, another child. And that was kind of scary. We were living in Philadelphia too. So I was commuting out there every day. And that was, you know, an hour normally, but not with traffic. So now all of a sudden you're changing your life to do this thing. That's kind of, you know, got a little bit nervous because you never did it professionally. You never even worked in another brewery. And now you're going to be uplifting your life and moving out another hour. And you're going to hope this whole thing still works. And it was the winter of 2016. And uh, a customer, I didn't know him, a customer, I guess, was coming in. And he said he can dedicate some time to helping, which I think is kind of classic. That happens a lot. And today he's our head brewer. And he's been with us six, six months in. And I think that was like this huge turn for the brewery because... He came in with less knowledge than me, but a stronger work ethic than I've ever seen anybody. And he just wanted to excel. And I think having that like person there that was like going to like, I am in this with you, do or die. It was kind of great. And I think that really helped. I'm always intrigued. And I don't know if we've ever asked anybody this, but so you're going from being a home brewer to all of a sudden being asked by your in-laws, if you want to open a brewery, how much of your beer had made its way to friends, family, and maybe even strangers? And what kind of feedback did you get? Was it enough to convince yourself that your product was good enough to do this professionally? A little bit. I think your friends are great tasters for free beer, but I didn't, like, it wasn't like I had like a dozen people around me at all times. Like, Ooh, this is really good. So my only real feedback was kind of family, which again, could be good because they're like, you think this is good? You think you're going to make a living off this? But, um, and so that was a good thing. So other than that, it was, uh, you know, you have a homebrew club you're in maybe, and I was in one and they were pretty supportive. They were, they were, uh, they made me feel like it was good. And then, um, you'd enter like little local competitions and that was kind of fun. And that didn't do much for morale, but at the same time, it made you know that other people are drinking it. Right. And, uh, I was painting a lot at the time too. Um, and not, you know, just local galleries and stuff like that. And I got to the, I got in the habit of like, Hey, I'll brew a beer for this thing since you guys are going to beer anyways at it. And that was kind of cool. And you kind of started to see some people, tasting it and you're around people doing it. And that was, and that was enough for me. I think we've made that connection between you and Dan Endicott that you're both involved with breweries and also painters. Uh, Dan from Forest and Maine for our listeners who have, have been with us the whole time and listened to that episode. I think we talked about that when we were with you that, am I correct? that you know, Dan? Yeah. 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 Cause you guys, you guys, uh, you know, both with the art and the beer thing, that's pretty cool. Um, that's cool to have those outlets and what a cool, and it kind of shows, I don't think either one of you designed your cans. I think he might design some of the cans. I don't know if you design any of the cans, but both of your breweries have these stunning can art and it's, 
it, it makes sense that there is some sort of artistic past and present and probably future for both of you. Yeah, I mean, he's an inspiration because he has like a solid art background that he really is persistent with that keeps it going. I don't paint or do anything as much as I ever did. You know, I did it for a long time and then I kind of just flat out stopped for no real reason, except I told myself I didn't have time and I and I actually probably do. So I do a couple labels here and there, but not that many. When I see them like Forrest Domain putting out cans every week and so much of his art is part of it, it's it's so great to see that because you know, you have to feed off your peers and he's definitely the person I feed off. So I want to go back at some point to a business question, but while we're on the art um, tangent here, uh, you mentioned you liked writing, your wife liked reading, and that her family was in, is their thing is ghost tours. And I'm seeing a connection here of like storytelling because yeah. it's there's a lot of that in writing, obviously. And then ghost tours are all storytelling. Am I onto something here? Like, is there is storytelling a big thing in their family? And was it in yours too? Like, is that what led you down the writing path? No, I don't know what led me down. Probably just music led me down, you know, just always because I didn't definitely come from an artistic background in my home at all. Um, they were always supportive, but they didn't like do anything. My sister, my mom, my dad, no one did anything. But uh, I kind of just fell into it in high school a little bit writing and then go to school and you, you're around a little bit more. And when I met my wife, it was kind of probably that that was probably the area that exploded it the most because I'm finding that, oh, my God, like here is this person who kind of feels how I feel about reading, at least, and is supportive of me writing. And then I meet her family and they're like in it. You know, they're like they are storytellers. And I think that. I think that's what beer is too. It's telling stories, you know, you're, whether it be a name of a beer or whether it be a piece of art, or it's just the beer itself of how you got to it, you know, time of year, everything. I think those things are all storytelling because you're then leading someone else to have a story. You're making something that is leading to someone else's good times, bad times, um, just travels. And I think beer and food or beverage in general always leads to good storytelling around a table of some sort. And now that you're so much more into, like, you're now full-fledged, like, known as this brewery owner, as opposed to known as your previous career, do you continue to see these connections? Do you see, like, stories being formed around your beer? And do you stay active with writing while you're managing being a father and a business owner and, and everything else? I don't stay, not as much as, you know, little bits here and there, you know, it's it's but it's very rare that, like, I get to really sit down and write anymore. Um, and it's not for, because I'm too busy. I feel it probably is, but I, I think after a while that becomes an excuse. Like you do a million things in a day that you probably can just, it's, it's all about discipline. And I, I don't quite have it. I'm always like trying to carry on too many things at once. Um, so when I do see people who, especially peers, whether they be, again, writing kind of even, painting or even just the way they carry their brewery it's like it's always a nice push to like wow keep doing better keep doing better and I think that's been like a very big ethos for us in the brewery is don't stay complacent always do better don't rest on this beer being a good beer make it better the next time mm. so on that note let's pick up where we left off in the business development story 
so you're six months in, a customer says, hey, I'm happy to help out. They become your head brewer. Can you walk us through a little bit more <clears throat> from 2015 to now? Because as we all know, there were some pretty big changes that everyone yeah. had to make in 2020. Um, but what are some of the seminal or the key business moments that have brought you here in the catching the story up to the present? Yeah, 2016 was the year that, you know, the head brewer Josh is hired. And it was kind of like we were, we were brewing everything together and it was kind of great. And then I knew I was having a second child. And I think that was going to be the moment he is pushed to have to do a little bit more than he's normally doing. And I think he knew it and I knew it and it was kind of great. So all of a sudden, I don't really take any time off. Not, you know, it's my second child. But at the same time, like I see how involved he gets. I knew at that point he was going to be leaving at the end of the year to go to Japan for three months. <laughs> and so we had all this traction that we felt like we were making. And then he's going to go. And I'm like, oh, we just got to a really great point. The beer like we were making, we were very happy with. And then he left and it kind of put me in a, I don't know, maybe I was kind of actually happy because at the same time I got to like refocus on it by myself, but at the same time, not having that creative outlet with someone really kind of hurt me. And then he came back in 2017 and it was, he was in it. He was like, I'm not like going to slow down. All I've been doing is reading every single day in Japan. He was out there for with his wife because she was doing an internship in Japan and he just came in and I wasn't prepared for the the force he was going to come back and want to brew. And it was great because he saw the, he saw the brewery start doing really good when he wasn't there. And I think that made him want to excel more. And so at that point, you know, we went to, and at this, again, my family was super supportive. My wife, family specifically, you know, my brother-in-law was running the pub. Her parents were definitely very supportive and like, cause they're building. So they were, you know, they're your family. They were, they were very supportive in, in terms of like, are you guys making the right decisions? How is this all going? And they're doing their own events at the brewery, which we can get into whenever you're ready to. Um, and, uh, 2018 comes and all right, it's time to, we're brewing on a small system, three and a half barrels. You're not yielding a lot of beer. And so it seems like you're running out of beer really often because you are, because it's not a lot. And all right, it's time to get get everything moving. And we're like, how do we do this? Like, where are we going to go? Are we going to stay in this? We don't have any room in the building we're in. Um, but we decided that we can keep it on premise, just in a, an outbuilding that was on the property. We have to completely redo it. And that took a year to build out. And so that was kind of getting frustrating. So now I'm overseeing that every day when the bartenders really wanted to brew. So he kind of jumped, jumped in, he started brewing all the time and he's still, I mean, we don't, I wouldn't, he's a brewer. We, you know, lead brewer, we want to call him. He's, he brews beer every single day too. Um, he jumped in he's doing that. So now I feel like we have enough traction that once we start to, once, once this brewery opens, we're going to be nowhere near what we were doing before. And because it'll be three times the amount and will it be the same? Will everything work out? Are we going to start canning everything? Are we going to open hour, more hours? How is it all going to change? And the first year in 2019, it was a complete change. That was the scariest thing because you're like going into making the spirit you're comfortable with to it not being the same for a little while and trying to figure that out, trying not to make your customers angry at you, trying to, uh, I guess, can we serve it all here? Do we have to start getting this out into the market? And all of a sudden we kind of had to. 
So all of a sudden now the beer that was never, ever anywhere else is now in like 40 places, which not many people knew probably, but you were able to get it in like 40 different bars. And that was weird. And not all at once, but over like the course of like that year. And then 2020 happens. And none of those bars want your beer anymore. <laughs> and now you got to figure out what you're going to do with it. So that was huge. We came, the first time that Chris and I came to Hidden River was during the pandemic. We sat outside. It was cans only, can pours only into plastic cups. And I just remember it was the first time we'd been there, but it wasn't the first time that I had enjoyed your beer. Okay. Um, our friend Francis had always been high on your product. Um, and that's how we learned about it. Uh, crawlers and then eventually cans came back to beer shares and stuff like that. Um, when with with that whole process going, when did you realize that, like, was there a moment that you were like, our product's good enough, people are going to come get it regardless of the situation? Or did that moment never come and it was kind of like an, oh, my goodness moment. We have this amazing product, but the world might be kind of kicking us to a place that is uncomfortable. I think, you know, throughout 2019 on that system was, you know, you were happy with. 75% of beer, maybe 50% of the beer at times. You weren't still quite there. And then with 2020, when we had to kind of shift everything, everything we now make is going to be canned. We're not going to keg a thing. That was, and because we're, we're still doing that to this day. We still can every single week. Um, but when we started doing that, I think, one, you have people now who are coming there. You're not open, really. They're just coming to get your beer takeout, like so many other you know breweries and in, in you know, during 2020. And this is where they're spending their money. And it's kind of like, you got to be really proud of what you're making every time with that, because they don't have to do it. They can go anywhere else or nowhere at all. And so it really became no more joking around, no more like, okay, we're pretty happy with this. Let's, this is, this can't, this, this has got to be 100% real. And I think that was like our biggest, because it was just not just for the business, but in life, you're like, I don't know what's going on, but let's put our all into this every single day. And I don't think any of us took a break for, I don't know how many months, six, seven months. You're just in there every single day. You had nowhere else to go either. So that was kind of good. But uh, that was my moment, I think. 2020 was my moment because so much changed. And so much that made the business keep going the way it went. Yeah. And that is like... A hard position to be in. Uh, we're going to pivot for a quick sec because we actually have a, a guest question sure. for you. Uh, Matt's close friend, Dante, uh, periodically joins us uh, as a friend of the podcast and is here uh, with Matt and would love to ask you a question. So kick it over to Dante. So thank you for the, for the intro. Good intro. But Kevin, all, all the things that you've said are like such a part of like the ups and downs of entrepreneurship, right? And like building something from the ground up that is so personal, right? And like, you're speaking about family being involved. You're speaking about, you know, your your wife's parents. Like it's, you're building something that is quite literally an idea. And to keep that alive is very difficult. 
And Matt was just saying earlier how just recently there are a few different breweries that are closing. And you mentioned earlier the idea that like breweries are at a place to where like you can't be complacent and that there's this there's this ever present idea of growth. But from my interactions with your beer, which is great, and from all the things that Matt has said about your space, it seems as though not enough breweries are doing what you're doing, where you are putting a flag in the sand and saying, this is where we make our beer. This is where we've built this. And it's good enough that we know people will come and continue to be part of what we're building. So I guess my, my question to you is, where does that fortitude come from? Because a lot of people want to grow for the sake of because it's a metric that says, oh, we're great and we're continuing. But not a lot of people are willing to say, you know, this is where we started. This is where we're going to do this. And we know it's great. So the right people will find us and we'll continue to do that. I think all of that leads to hope because even though we think it, that's like still a very hard phrase to say because I really think we hope it. But at the same time, I think it comes from just that fact that someone's always going to be doing something better than you. And you can accept that or you can just keep moving with it. And I have a hard time accepting that this is it. It's always got to be better because if it's not, what are you doing? You know, why get up every day? Why do stuff if you're not like, going to be 100% behind what you can, what your, not what your passion is, not what anything else is, but just, I don't know, you guys, that's for life or you don't. <laughs> and sometimes, sometimes it's not that easy, but that's how my approach is at least. So I have always, I'm always fascinated with the social media and um, rating system behind beer, not because I necessarily believe it, but just because I feel like the fact that it's out there is very interesting. Um, Chris and I were talking before we came on just about how magnificent, how wonderful Hidden Rivers beer is. And then I was curious to find out what is Hidden Rivers untapped score? And we can all untap this what it is. Your average score for all of your beers is 4.13, which is like off the charts. I have always felt that your beer it's probably the best in Pennsylvania. I mean, the, the, I'm currently drinking a Kolsch that you gave me when I was there that has been sitting in my fridge for hopes that we would have this interview and I could drink it while having the interview. And um, it's fantastic. And you're known for your hazy IPAs, but I'm drinking your Kolsch, which is a style Kolsch, I guess Kolsch style ale, because <laughs> unless you're in Cologne, you can't use the actual Kolsch. But it, this is a beer, this beer is fantastic. And all of your beer that I've had is fantastic. Have you ever felt like, has there ever been the desire to like put yourself in a position where you're more focused on? I mean, being literally hidden by a river, um, you know, I've always felt that your beer is so fantastic and more people need to be drinking it. Have you ever wanted that piece of Philly or that piece of, a town with a a, da uh, a walkable downtown where more people would be exposed to your beer. 
has that ever been something that you've considered and do you feel it's necessary or is it intentional that you're where you're at and that's where you need to be and if people want this they need to come to you because it is a total experience it's a little bit of all that because i do think the building has is a huge part of our identity but at the same time i mean there where you started out did it shape you sure is it is it everything? I don't know. I mean, we've always talked about being somewhere closer to Philly, specifically Philly, not even in Philly, but because for the access so more people can have it because you are really depending on great weather. Um, is, I say great weather for a reason because the drive out there to some is daunting. I don't, you know, I mean, I, I drove to Philly today. It's not like it's, it's, it's that hard, you know, but I did it today and it's, I think that if we were a little bit closer, be people would be more exposed to it. Would it change how we do things? Probably, but maybe it's a good thing. Um, I think that, yeah, we got known for hazy IPA and we have to brew it very, very often. I mean, twice a week at least. And then we get to make these things like Kolsch and get to meet the, make these things like lager, you know, other types of lager beer. And we would love for more people to drink that stuff too. We don't not make it on purpose. In fact, we, we find ourselves making it more often than not, but I think if we had a little bit more exposure, that would help. So, but we also don't make enough to do that. So that where we're at, it's kind of, you know, we, our ratio of what comes out of that tank and cans or kegs is very precise for a reason. And that gets messed up every once in a while, good weekends versus slow weekends versus just summertime versus fall. All those things have a very big reason for, how much beer we get to put out in a week. And it's kind of a good thing because we don't distribute it all, but it's also kind of a scary thing because you don't want to just stop at that level. You know, we have capacity for one more fermenter and it's purchased and we're going to be installing that in the next month. Great. Does that mean that beer can get a little bit further? Sure. A couple places get the beer, some places in Lancaster, some places in Philly, but not often enough. So I like, I would like people, more people to be exposed, but I do think coming to the place does have a very big impact on it because it's not your standard pub. And it, it is not your standard pub. It is very cool. And uh, I'm going to kick it over to you actually to describe it a little bit more because the summary that I remember is it is an old 300-ish year old building with an interesting history to it, like interesting stories that it's been used for. Uh, can you situate us like for a listener who hasn't been there and they pull up their car, they're driving next to the river uh, and they pull into the driveway. What do they see? Take us from there into the house. They haven't been there before. They probably drive past it because they missed it. <laughs> and it's not that it's like a small building. It just it kind of creeps up on you real fast. And now where the, the brewery itself is kind of detracts from this vision a little bit, because depending on what direction you're coming from. But it's it was a 1700s farmhouse, um, and that is what you see from the road. This almost it, it still looks massive because over the next you know 200 years it got well built on, and it was more and more rooms, more and more floors, and it was it started off as just a home, and it was a home for people for a long time, and that was in you know 1711 is where we kind of find the earliest date, and. I won't go into too much of the history because I even get it confused a lot of the times. I think I've told the story wrong more times than I've told it right. So I do like to at least get to like more of the nitty gritty, which is like 
early 1900s, um, it was a brothel. Um, that was, from what I know, it was like high society Reading in Philly. And so obviously in that time, a speakeasy during prohibition and it stayed that brothel and the building is called Britain Lodge um, for the man, Caleb Britton, who was the owner of it. Um, and it stayed a brothel for the better of 60, 50 years until the uh, late sixties when a restaurant came in. And now this is also kind of known as a haunted house, which is kind of funny because it, if you're there and you know that you kind of get this eerie feeling because the rooms are very, it's dark. I, th I say dark. It's very dark there um, because all the rooms are decorated kind of old fashioned, but um, it's not even necessarily on purpose as much as some of that stuff was there when we got, when the building was purchased. And so, cause it was a restaurant. And so um, if you were to walk in right now, chances are you're going to walk into more than more lit room, which is just a takeout area that goes right into like a very small pub room. 30 people can possibly sit in there, doubtfully. And, you know, wooden, wooden, wooden slash brick walls, exposed wooden ceiling. And then all of a sudden you kind of start guiding your way through and you're all of a sudden you're in someone's house. It's like, so you see a room that's almost like kitchen storage and it kind of looks out of place, but the more you walk through the building, it didn't look out of place because then you go into a larger library room with like a full wall of books, fireplace. And, but it's not like old fashioned or antique or it's kind of rough and rustic, but in a good way. And then if you keep walking through, you start to see these other random rooms and you see these staircases and chandeliers and you don't get to, you don't know if you're supposed to go in any of these rooms and maybe you're not, maybe they're locked. And then you make your way to this larger back bar area, which again is like a lot of barn wood, like a high ceiling that's kind of very rustic looking. Another another bar in the kitchen, and it's it's all got like really kitschy stuff around. I taxidermy, which was kind of something that Caleb Britton was into, and so when my in laws bought the place, they kind of did stuff based on the people who lived there, not necessarily their taste, but kind of what they expected it to be. And so you see this stuff that is fitting, but at the same time is kind of awkward. And uh, it's a it's 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 a building that takes you out of your comfort zone, definitely. And it's kind of a good thing because you start to feel comfortable in it, and at the same exact time, be like, "This is different," and you're not really quite sure of what how the beer almost works in it, you know, because it's like. It's, it almost seems like a restaurant. It doesn't seem like a brewery because you don't see brewery equipment inside of it. But once you kind of get the feel for what we're doing, I think it all starts to meld together. And I think that what we're, get, what we're doing kind of all leads back to storytelling. Because the beer is supposed to tell a story, the building tells a story. And you're finding your way out there, then you might have a story to tell too. Dang, the connections. Yeah. They're there. They're, they're all, and they don't have to search too hard, but they're there. Wow. And really, anyone who's had your beer or looked at your cans, we've talked about can art and the beer. You know, the story is there. And, and, and just, I have to ask, because you're such a storyteller and your history with the English language is, you know, you know we, we now learned um, so much about that and your artistic nature. Where do the 
beer names come from. Uh, just for our listeners, I had already talked about how I'm drinking a cool style ale. It's called Smooth Lies. Um, but all of your beers have very interesting names. They're not, you know, Hidden River Kolsch, Hidden River Double IPA. You know, where where do these names come from? And how important is it for you as the owner to tie that name directly to the beer? And how do you make those connections? It's... 90% important to me because you're always going to have some names that you need it on the fly. Um, so the, yeah, the branding of those cans, I think is kind of very important to me. Um, the names come from a collection brewers, every once in a while bartender. And then me and my wife also um, always picking through books, always picking through phrases. Um, the brewer, Josh always, watching something of a documentary an art film and he's also like smooth lies i believe was from a documentary he was watching on uh marlon brando or something like that <laughs> and there are all these interesting like he gave a collection of names all from that documentary i think smooth lies was one of them and uh so we all take part a little bit we veto each other sometimes say ah, that name doesn't work um can art same thing uh that was always something highly important um because they are kind of similar images but not really similar images like i think there's something that ties it together somehow and that thing might be the name or it might be um just the way the colors all come together a little bit because if you have, if you look at like a collection of six seven cans in front of you it's like oh they all work together somehow like that one is hilarious or like like <laughs> I put the, all the artist names are always on the cans too. Um, that uh, was someone who worked with me at the newspaper. Since Eric Hartline, he yeah. owns a yep. he owns a homebrew shop in. I know I know everything. I can almost tell you where all of them come from. He owns a homebrew shop in Havertown, Pennsylvania. Oh, uh, 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 your own. Yeah, yep. Yeah. That's and, where I think I think that's where Jeff goes, Chris. Yeah. Our friend I, is a homebrewer, and he that's where he goes. I lived in Havertown for a little bit and that's where I started going. He didn't own it at that point, but, uh, and so he's also a photographer for USA today. So he does like all Philly sports games. So right now he is probably at Simpsons big park. Um, so that picture may well be like a close up of a crowd, like highly, highly focused in because he sends things like that all the time. Wow. I have this one of like these raindrops coming down the wall at the link and no one would know what it is, but I know what it is. And it's kind of cool. That's really cool. And so uh, some of them are like that. I'll, I'll fully admit this is the, when we scheduled this, the Phillies had not, the schedule had not come out yet. I know. The Phillies game is on. I, I have to show my Philly shirt, my Philly pride. I'm a huge Phillies fan, but um, it doesn't matter because this conversation is so interesting to me. Um, you know, so I'm the kind of person who likes the way my beer is dressed. I know that that's a weird thing to say, but yeah, you know, I'm in a bottle shop. It's so oversaturated bottle yeah. shops now with, you know, hazy IPAs, what have you, fruited sours, all those great styles, which are great beers. But to me, I appreciate the brewery that tells the story through their product. You know, I don't want a cartoony looking can because it, it feels like a phone, like you phoned it in. The fact that you guys, it's all tied in together, the name, the beer, the art, it's all painting a picture. It's all telling a story. For me, that's the kind of beer I want to drink. So, I mean, it's so, it's so amazing to hear that, that that those processes are actually at work yeah. because as a consumer, that's what I'm looking for. And that's what I 
feel like I'm getting when I get your beer. Wow. So awesome. it, it, it's effective and it's wanted. So I cheers to you on that because that's, it's such a, because beer is art. I mean, sure. some people scoff at that, but beer is art. And, and, you know, it's, it's an expression and hops are, are paint and, you know, or whatever your, your art is. That's, that's part of it. And when you can put those pieces together and you can draw that through line, it really makes the experience of drinking it and being in your place so much more meaningful. Awesome. That's, that's, I think that is exactly what we aim for and we hope to get, even if it's one person, you know, that's, that's awesome to hear, you know, and we, I don't, we don't hear that that often. Maybe I don't, you know, I'm not in the pub as often as I'd like to be sometimes or as often as I used to be. And so when I come back in and I see customers that I, I recognize or they always have something like that to say at times, or they ask, oh, remember this one can. And I'll always remember if they say a name, I'll probably remember the art. Or if they say the art, I'll know, you know, what the name of it was. And I, I, I like that that has become something like kind of serious in my life, like um, staying 100% connected to what you're doing. And on the same, on the name train, uh, where does Hidden River get its name? I mean, there's a couple scenarios on that. And I think back to when we were naming it and we're all the names were, I mean, there were some were just very, uh, very esoteric. And then some were very like me. And I kind of wanted, when we kind of had enough, enough down and Hidden River was on that list. The reason, in my opinion, that became that because you know, the Schuylkill River is also known as the Hidden River, um, Pennsylvania Dutch, you know, it has that connection to it. But more so than that, it comes from that my wife's family, prior to doing ghost tours, had a river and two business called Hidden River Adventures. And I kind of wanted to give, I wanted personally that homage to that, because I thought I wouldn't be doing this without them. And so I, I thought it was important to me, at least. So, and it kind of had a little bit of uh, marketability, I guess you want to say, because some other things, you know, and it wasn't that important for that, but it kind of helped a little bit, I think, because I had names that were more so in line of the things that interest me only. And I'm like, man, these, I don't like put myself like that into everything. I think the moment you start doing that, you start discounting what everybody else in the business is doing. And I hated that. So I didn't want to be that person. I think we're going to need a second offshoot episode just to interview your wife's family because yeah. you owned a river adventure company and a ghost tour company and your entrepreneurs. <laughs> yeah. They, they're, they're, they're inspirational. I mean, it, besides like, you know, doing quirky things. And I think those are the things that made you feel comfortable having a brewery because it wasn't like a f you're going to do that. It wasn't like, even sure breweries are just a normal business now. I think when I told my parents, they were kind of like, really? <laughs> that doesn't sound, it sounds like you're kind of putting all your eggs in one basket for the possibility of emptying that basket very soon. And they weren't like that. They were, and it's not saying that was a bad thing. See, I think having both sides tell you different things are very important. And I think them being, because my, you know, my father, he owns his own business. So it was like something that wasn't too obscure for him to understand. But for her family and knowing that 
doing things that were a little bit unconventional, like river businesses or ghost tours. That was kind of like, you can do this. You know, we've been doing something like this. You can do it too. I think that was pretty important. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, and Kevin, as we're nearing the end of the podcast, I have one more question for you. And then I want to turn it over to you also to just tell us what's next with Hidden River or anything that you want the listeners to know. Um, my question for you is, so doing this interview with you right now is a really cool experience for a number of reasons that we've mentioned before, but one of which was that I don't know, I wasn't confident we'd actually get to interview you because all that I heard from Francis and Matt and Jeff and everybody was just how amazing your beer was before I tried it, tried it. It was like, oh my gosh, yes, <laughs> agreed. And then I noticed like I would check on our Instagram who views the stories and my heart fluttered a bit when I saw Hidden River Brewing viewed our story. I'm like, no way. How did this come to be that like someone who I've been idolizing is like following our stories? What? And so I mentioned to Matt, like, dude, guess who's like viewed our stories like multiple times? The Hidden River Instagram. This is wild. And then we reach out to you and you're like, oh my gosh, no, happy to connect. You're so down to earth. But I have to know, like, how did we get on your radar? I think, you know, you see like sometimes and you start to see, wow, they are these people are all following some people I follow. And I wonder what their story is. And then I get to find that out. And I'm like, oh, well, this is obviously someone I should meet. I mean, we obviously have, you know, worldly ideas in common. And this is probably a great thing. And so it, they want to just, but that's, that can happen anytime with anybody. It's like, oh, I have, have something in common with you. Like you stalk the person or something like that. It just sometimes happens naturally. And I think that's exactly what this was. I mean, I don't, I didn't, I'm like, oh, they're following us. You know, it's like, I, I, I try to at least know what's going on. I mean, I don't, I miss things sometimes, but that one kind of caught my eye, you know? And so I was kind of really happy to see that. So, and then to find out, oh, we've been here before. It's like, oh, cool. Okay. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, it's it's really an honor to have to be able to well, first of all, to talk to you, but also to make that connection because we really do feel like simpatico. Like we really do feel like this is uh, uh, you know we have a meeting of the minds here, which is really cool. Um, we love Hidden River. Um, we wish we could get there more often, but that that hour drive when, as you know, two kids for me, two kids is is not always the easiest thing to do. But what's next for Hidden River? You know, what do you? see happening what might be in the works what do you want to happen with this brand um anything you can let us in on if not that's cool but if anything we'd love to hear it yeah i don't like we're definitely still continuing making the beer that we make that because when we don't make hazy ipa you kind of see that people are a little upset sometimes if nothing new comes out um but it's also you can't have a board of, on your on your draft list and it's only that and so what's been kind of great this summer is that there has been so many fun trends of lower alcohol beers, pale ale, lager specifically. And then I guess I'll use those as, as an example. And that's for a quick reason. That's because even though we're a brew pub, I do find it better to make the one, make beer that you like to make and that you feel confident about. Don't just make a whole bunch of beers of different styles because it doesn't work for everybody. And I, if we don't love it, why are we going to do it? Because it's going to show to the consumer. And so what I see, what's been happening lately is like we put a West Coast out the other day, which was great. We haven't put one out in a year. 
we've been doing some other styles of variation of West Coast, and that was fun. But West Coast IPA is definitely going to come back a little bit harder for us in the mix of other IPAs. Um, it's We get to brew stout more now. Finally starting a little bit of barrel program, um, which we haven't done ever. Um, early days, sure, it was small format, but now we're kind of starting to do that with our stout. Um, Saison finally coming back for us. We just put out one two weeks ago um, that we brewed earlier in the year with fermentary form. And then that just came out uh, last week, I guess. And that was fun. So Saison is already in our fooder is already just going to happen continuously now. And I think just focusing on the styles that we didn't 100% focus on before, you know, to the extent we plan on doing now. So, Well, Kevin, it was great to talk to you. We're so happy we can make this work. Um, we can't wait to come back out to Hidden River and get more of your amazing beer. Um, but also having the story behind the brewery and behind you uh, specifically makes drinking your beer way more meaningful for us. So thank you for um, giving us that meaning. Um, every sip I take now is, it, it really means a different thing. And knowing the story behind the beers is really meaningful for a consumer like me. And I know Chris feels the same way because it's not just drinking alcohol like or drinking beers. You know, there's something more meaningful to the whole experience. And knowing that you are bringing that and it's very intentional is such a refreshing piece of information as you know more and more breweries open breweries close but the ones you really enjoy are doing it the right way and are bringing the full 360 experience so thank you so much for doing what you're doing and thank you so much for coming on the podcast thank you i'm sorry i was late it, it was worth it we didn't care okay well matter. thank you it's good we can try to catch the rest of this phillies game real quick now it's probably yeah. over <laughs> it's still going on, but you have, you have a good inning and a half left. All right. I can leave. I don't want to know anything yet. So all right, cool. thank you very, very much. Awesome. Thanks so much, Kevin. Great to talk to you too. You know, Chris, it's, I always like when expectations and reality don't meet. And I, and then that's like a really chancy game to play because sometimes my expectations are exactly what I want, but <laughs> there's something about when when something happens that's completely surprising that's just so satisfying. And that conversation with Kevin was one of those times. Um, he's such an interesting, genuine, um, really put to, like I, put together makes it sound like I'm like I don't know that it sounds like belittling of him, but he's got such like a unique perspective of what he's doing and a great sense of his own reality that it's so refreshing. And everything he said, I was just like, it, it was everything I wanted him to say in the moment, but more. And I was blown away. Yeah. And the conversation that we had after was also interesting. Uh, I think I get, I have a hard time deciding whether, uh, whether and when to ask someone if it's okay to like record. Cause I think you get some gems when people know that it's off an off record conversation, um, that just can't happen the same way when you're recording. Um, but in this case, um, Dante was with you during the recording and listened to the podcast, you know, as it's happening, the interview. And then, uh, he chimed in and asked Kevin a few additional questions. And those were really insightful too, because we learned that Kevin, uh, Kevin, Kevin and Dante went just like 
toe to toe on like knowledge of hip hop and like places in New York City that Kevin had lived. And um, it was really interesting. Like they talked about this, I guess, library that like a lot of people of famous people have worked at that Kevin worked at. And he's a fascinating human being who's also particularly good at running this like family business that's got a ton of fame in the craft beer community for putting out just absolutely like rocking beer. Uh, and yeah, it was a fascinating conversation. I think that it just goes to show that when you have a unique model that from an outsider's point of view who might not know your brewery, they might think there's no way there's that's going to work. I think it just goes to show you how he has just this really great sense and awareness that he can make that work. And it has, and people do go out of their way to go there. And when you go on like message boards or Facebook groups, people talk about hidden river, like it's gold. And it really is like, that's a thing that I've always noticed. Like the beer, every time I have something from them, it's always incredible. But now the man matches the beer. You know, like the man might even surpass the beer, uh, you know, and that's what this podcast has become about for me, at least, is allowing myself to be able to appreciate this industry aside from the liquid, because the beer is great. And I we've we've been to hum- uh, to Hen River. We we've, we've drank Hen River beer. Um, I've the first Hidden River beer I had was a long time ago when I lived in media and Fran- Francis brought some over because Francis has always loved the beer person, Francis. Um, but somehow, some way we find, I find a way to now appreciate what I drink more because I know the people behind those beverages. And, um, so this was pretty special knowing that I'm going to continue to drink their beer and I was going to regardless but now it's even more meaningful. Yeah. I mean, Kevin, his wife, who's a co-owner, his brother-in-law, who's uh, like also involved, like this family operation is doing something really special. And when you and I went there in person, I could see why there's, I mean, there's a certain level of swag you have to have to say like, nah, people are going to come to us for this and they do it and they do it well. And the, the house itself is really cool. Like, I want to emphasize that. I know Kevin described it and we talked about it a bit in the interview, but as someone who grew up with my dad as a carpenter who does like fine craftsmanship and really values like old places and um, keeping things consistent with the way that they were originally made, this building is really freaking cool. It's awesome. Like when you and I, uh, there's like an outdoor patio area and then we described the layout, but there's one part where you and I were about to leave and we're like, oh, let's go like just take another walk through. And we're in this hallway that's just felt like being in a house. There's like a lamp and there's like a, a deer like mounted on the wall and like two chairs uh, next to a tiny little table that is not what you'd normally find in a brewery. It's what you'd find when you're walking through an old house. Yeah. So if people can get there, they should. It's worth the trip. It, it really is. And um, the place is worth it. The beer is worth it. The people are worth it. Uh, and, you know, we hope that we continue to, if you didn't know about Hidden River before, we hope that now you, wherever you're from, you make it a point to go there. Um, 
And if you have already been there and have already know what we know, which is the beer is incredible, that you continue to patronize them because it really is a place that stays open because people go there and people enjoy the experience. So um so happy that Kevin could join us. It was great to meet him in person first. Uh, and I can't wait to go back out and see him again. Yeah, absolutely. And for all the beer people out there who might be wondering, so what's up next for the podcast? Um, we're taking an approach uh, as we're continuing an approach that we started this summer of picking up the interviews as they come and um, making sure that whenever we get a guest who we think the people would really benefit from hearing, we're going to drop episodes, but it might not be as consistent as the weekly Tuesdays that were, um, you know, kind of our hallmark of the last full season. Um, but we are in talk setting up with some interviews, interviews with some awesome people. So stay tuned, beer people. And as always, you can find us on Instagram at beer people podcast. Uh, our email address is beerpeoplepodcast at gmail.com. And you can find all of our website, all of the episodes are linked on our website, beerpeople.xyz. So please check it out, share, and we'll talk to you again soon.